Welcome to the CBA Grain Exchange Podcast. This is your host, Luke Beckman, Grain Sales Manager for Central Valley Ag. During this podcast, we dissect the latest USDA updates and discuss other key market features. Every month, you will hear from different members of the CBA Grain Team on what trends we are seeing in the marketplace and solutions to current marketing challenges. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode number 22 of the CBA Grain Exchange. It is a rainy Friday here in Northeast Nebraska. Uh, A little bit of a pause in the harvest action after a pretty busy stretch, uh, mostly for soybeans, as uh, producers uh, get into the month of October. Uh, We're excited today to bring you uh, Kevin Gonderman. Kevin is a Stone X uh, broker out of Omaha and uh, really a key piece of expertise in our business. Uh, We thought he'd be great to have on as he shed some light on what's going on in these grain markets. So, Kevin, welcome to the CBA Grain Exchange. Thank you very much, Luke. Kevin, give us a little taste of your background. All right. Well, actually, uh, CBA, I'm coming home. I uh, grew up on a family farm in Northeast York County, at Gresham, and actually was a producer from 1978 to 93. At which point, uh, my family and I decided to go a different direction with our careers, and I got into this line of work. Um, And I've been with uh, the old legacy UFC back in 2001 and worked with with producers there um, until 2012 when I took this position with who we are now, StoneX. And uh, that's how I got to meet uh, Luke Beckman and the Legacy CBA Pro Edge Grain Team, um, and and was just uh, really enamored with the efforts and the resources that CBA dedicated to helping their producers understand, um, educate, and make marketing decisions. Well, and you've been a key piece of what we do here. Kevin, uh, really have a good perspective in this business, wearing both hats over your career, both uh, producer and uh, you know risk manager, both for the commercial business and for uh, producers. But you know, how do you see CBA's group adding value at the farm gate from your chair? You know, Luke, I think it goes back to having somebody that your local producer can reach out and touch that has knowledge of what's going on in the marketplace first. Second, the educational opportunities that um, one-on-one grain specialists have with their producers. Third, the facilities that CVA has. Um, this, this past year is just a key example of when the Chinese returned to the bean export market and all the soybeans and the increase in basis values that we had seen because of the shuttle loaders, uh, just how that elevated uh, basis levels throughout the state. Those are just simply three quick ways in which CVA brings value back down to to the their owner operators. Yeah, it's a it's very much a people business, and we need uh, to share the information with our. Producers, uh, it's a dynamic time where information flows pretty freely, but really some local information still um, best accessed in one of those one-on-one relationships that you referenced. Uh, so yeah, CBA is here and committed to having people in the country 
uh, to provide local expertise to our farm producers. And, you know, we gain a lot of valuable insight too with working uh, with folks like you, Kevin, uh, by having uh, another level of information that gets passed down to our team, uh, which can then relay that expertise uh, to our producers. So a really neat system uh, within the cooperative uh, cooperative world and specifically here at CBA as we work to uh, uh, bring that knowledge base to our producers. So Kevin, excited to have you here. Uh, really, a, I would call you a fundamental junkie at heart. I don't know if you would self-describe yourself as that. Really good on the technical side, but I feel like at your core, you're a fundamental uh, trader. Is that is that a fair assessment? <laughs> yeah, Luke, I, I guess you could say that. Um, fundamentals drive the marketplace. It points to the direction. Uh, the technicals are simply the roadmap that are going to tell you how you're going to get there. Well, I'd say that you're pretty good at both. So let's just dive into what the USDA uh, gave us yesterday. So the National Ag Statistics Service uh, issued their quarterly stocks report. They do this four times a year, as the name implies. And these are really key pieces of information because they kind of are a, oh, a course correction, Kevin. Uh, we get the monthly updates uh, in, the WAS, in the form of the WASD reports. And uh, these quarterly adjustments really are kind of the Bible that kind of oh, resets and aligns the rest of the data that the USDA issues throughout the year. So they're really key reports. We tend to find quite a bit of volatility on quarterly stocks reports days. And uh, yesterday, September 30th, was no different. And if you remember a year ago at this time, we've talked about it in recent episodes of the Green Exchange, last year's September stocks report was pretty bullish. We really had a bullish surprise in corn and to a lesser degree beans a year ago on September 30th. This year, the opposite effect. Uh, we were down yesterday in both commodities, really, as you look at the report, soybeans, uh, a, a record surprise to the negative side in terms of the stocks adjustment. So in the corn, we had a a final stocks figure of 1.236 billion bushels. Uh, that is up 82 million from the average trade guess. And really what they did is went and changed the size of last year's crop to make those numbers work. Uh, so it really has some demand implications as we look at, at feed demand. So let's start with the corn first, Kevin. I want to get your thoughts on uh, the numbers yesterday from Mass. All right, Luke. Uh, the corn report was all about D plus D minus D equals, and in this situation, it was derecho plus drought minus demand destruction. That's what the report gave us yesterday. Opening line of the written commentary by NAS was they reduced production by 71 million bushels, and yet carryout goes up. And so they acknowledged that um, the drought and the derecho that went through eastern Nebraska and through Iowa uh, did reduce our production, but we had larger demand destruction, and therefore our carryout goes up for this year. I think it's pretty profound what? there, Kevin. We got we to get that on a whiteboard. This isn't a visual. It's all audio. So I hope our producers are writing that formula out. I didn't know we'd be in math class today, but that's that's good info. That's a good way to lay it out there. <laughs> what we really missed yesterday, you know, the average trade guess was for 
for the number yesterday to be 32 million bushels below what the WASDE report from September 10th estimated to carry out at 1.187 billion bushels. What the trade missed was the amount of wheat that was displacing corn and DDGs in the southwestern fed cattle markets. Our DDG trader here in Omaha in early May began to pick up from his clientele in southwest Kansas that uh, they were substituting wheat. Hard red winter wheat was a uh, better buy uh, than corn and DDGs. And so during that um, June, July, August time period, there was a tremendous amount of wheat being fed. It's been a long time since we fed that much wheat. And that's what this report uncovered. It's just how much of our feed demand uh, was lost in the corn market. Hence, we had our carryout go up. Now we look at fourth quarter feed demand based on what the USDA gave us. And we always have to back into feed demand on the balance sheet. We don't get regular updates you know, weekly like we do with uh, ethanol with the Department of Energy reports on Wednesday or export inspections uh, that we get on Mondays. So you really don't have any way to look at feed demand. And based on what you're telling us, Kevin, uh, the numbers work out to feed demand being down 34 and a half percent year over year in this fourth quarter. So no, no doubt based on the stocks measurement, uh, we just fed less corn. There was less corn that disappeared in Q4 here. That is correct, Luke. Yes. I, I find it interesting because we were talking internally, just uh, some, some coworkers of mine and, and the conversation really was, you know, the cash market tends to tell us the truth about, you know, what's going on in the marketplace. And if we look at, you know, the corn market uh, and soybeans too, we'll get into that in a minute. Uh, but as you and I were talking, you know, we talked about basis this summer in the Western Corn Belt really peaking in, uh, I would say, June. And you can, you can dial that in for us a little, little closer on when, but uh, May, June was about the peak in the cash market uh, here in Nebraska. So, you know, it tells us that the market was working to ration that demand. And uh, we eventually got to a point where, you know, it felt comfortable with what it had done. And uh, it felt more confident about getting to the end of the summer with the supplies we had to work with. But I am still a little bit miffed. I do believe that corn pipeline is very tight and I have to do nothing more than look at cash bids at a lot of your terminal users, your cattle feeders, and your ethanol plants. And uh, we're still trading uh, positive basis values over December futures, and it's October 1st today. And uh, they're not small values either, they're pretty large. So uh, it tells me that the pipeline and a lot of the space commercial and farm was um, empty, you know, coming into this fall. Any comments on that, Kevin? No, I would agree with you there, Luke. Um... Yeah, basis based corn basis topped out back in the first part of June, and and the reason that occurred was uh, the major ethanol producer in the state began to reduce the July corn basis. Uh, at at one point, June July basis was both I think thirty over, and one Monday they came in and reduced at five cents and on Tuesday they took another nickel out of the July basis and so instead of elevators having uh, a 60-day window in which to unload 
any of the inventory that they needed to move to get ready for harvest, that window really got shut down to 30 days. And in doing so, then what the processor has done, in effect, um, it's kind of shot himself in the foot. Rather than having those bushels bought back in July that they could drag out through August and then the farmer cleans out his bins to get ready for harvest, uh, those bushels went elsewhere. Now he's got to push his basis value to try and attract bushels. And so instead of having long periods of high basis values, we, sh we get near nearby two-week delivery windows or as we get closer to harvest, one-week uh, delivery windows where there's quite a bit of premium. You're absolutely correct about elevator space, Luke. Uh, our elevators are going to be as cleaned out as they have been since the summer of 2013. So not only does the ethanol user, the exporter, the feeder have to compete with each other, but they, this year they're also going to have to compete for space. Uh, the space is going to be attracting corn bushels as well as physical demand. Yeah, no doubt about it. That's a good adage in the, in the business that space is demand. And, um, you know, it's, I think eventually as this inverse goes away and it will go away in the corn market, um, still feels like basis values are going to stay and remain pretty firm. Um, just as we recharge that pipeline and you know, it feels like ethanol demand is on its feet, margins are good. Uh, that should be kind of a constant tug um, on corn from a demand perspective. And uh, the export program is going to be here. We need to get uh, some of those export elevators in the Gulf back up and running to kind of resume some normal business and hopefully have a good export year in corn. Uh, so far, it's, it's materially impacted bean exports, at least it feels that way. I would agree with you there. And I think this will be a, a typical or a more normal uh, export season where the beans, the beans hit the elevation from September through February and corn really is gonna shine March, uh, March through next to August. Um, we got to get through the Chinese harvest, which might be a record this year. So don't be looking for any corn shipments going uh, to the Chinese early. That'll happen more after the first of the year when our bean export program slows down, the Brazilian bean program accelerates. Uh, that's when we begin to ship a lot of corn. Yeah, good, good comments there. Let's, on that note, let's transition over to the beans, probably a little little more uh, to talk about there and not in a great way, but 256 million bushels yesterday was reported by NAS. Uh, that was 81 million bushels higher than the average trade guess. And they went in and revised last year's crop higher as well. There's really not a feed demand category in the beans to, I don't want to say hide, hide the numbers. Uh, there is a residual category, but we were dealing with a pretty small residual number on the balance sheet already in the case of beans. So NAS really had no choice but to go back and revise last year's crop higher. Uh, that's just the way the, the process and the formula works based on what they measured. And so I think we mentioned in our opening comments, this was the biggest surprise ever uh, in this quarterly stocks report in either direction. Uh, this one just happened to be negative. So beans kind of took it on the chin yesterday, traded both sides today, but support at 1240 did hold uh, despite beans being down nine today. But uh, Kevin, why don't you take us through kind of your thoughts on uh, the soybean stocks number yesterday? Well, I think the soybean stocks number 
confirmed what basis markets and spread markets told us last summer. Um, but an increase of more than a, a, just about a bushel per acre was, was quite a large uh, increase in the amount of production that we had. Um, remember last April and May, Luke, USDA had U.S. carryout estimated to be 120 million bushels. Mm-hmm. Today, with the number they gave us yesterday, the 256, it's more than double that. 120 million bushel carryout is a 2.6% stocks-to-use ratio. That's a rationing situation, Luke. Rationing prices could be anywhere, $14, $15, $16 a bushel. You really don't know how high high it's going to be. It's just somebody's got to stop using it. Now, historically, basis in past rationing years have traded 3 to $4 over November futures, either through spreads and or basis alone. This year, it topped out at 250 over the November, and that was the first or second week in May. At that point, Luke, something was amiss. Well, we felt that, and you know, we talked about it a little bit in corn, uh, but yeah, really at the same time for both corn and beans, you know, we about saw the, the cash markets peak out. We found it interesting Now we talked about corn with basis values, you know, still being heavy overs and it's October 1st. We thought, especially as you go back to that May report, which you referenced when carryout was projected at 120 million bushels. At that time, there were conversations going on with producers and uh, internally alike saying, hey, you know, this is going to be the year where if you can be the first one to harvest soybeans this fall, you're going to get a crack at a dollar over, you know, November futures to deliver these beans out of the field. Uh, so September 10th comes around and, you know, you would have expected that, but we never felt that uh, in the Western Corn Belt or really anywhere in the U.S. Uh, with this soybean supply crunch late in the season. Uh, we were pretty well close to harvest bids um, by the time we got to soybean harvest, which uh, would tell you that there were enough soybeans around in the system. And apparently more in the West than in the East, though, because it was really a day and night situation where Eastern Corn Belt bean processors were having terrific profits through the summertime. And our Western Corn Belt processors in Western Iowa, Eastern Nebraska, were really struggling. And so it was really the have and the have-nots in that situation. Well, I mean, where do we go from here, Kevin? I, I, you and I spoke offline about this uh, yesterday a bit as we were kind of reacting to the numbers, but I mean, that's a pretty big change. You referenced we're, you know, stocks to use ratio in the two and a half percent range, um, higher than that today with where we're going to end up. Where does this take the bean market? That's an excellent question. I think to simply keep it simple, Luke, as stocks decline, prices have to rally to ration demand, to ration those available supplies. As supplies become larger, prices decline. Historically, a 5.7 or a 6% stock to use ratio is worth about $11.50 being generous and more like an $11 market. So as we sit here today and you look at a 1250 November futures market, you're probably in the ballpark of 
$12.1175 cash to the farmer at harvest. Um, I just think it, it's prudent that the producer be rewarding these higher values with sales of old crop soybeans or the harvested crop that they're taking out of the field today. One of the things we talk about is revenue per acre too. Talk to us a little bit about why that's important as we discuss risk management at the farm gate. Well, look, we started last February and uh, values have done nothing but rally through May, June. And, and the total dollars that were coming in per acre had, had grown by about 20% over what the guarantees were, but nothing's guaranteed. And so at that point in time, the farmer really needed to be harvesting value, harvesting that revenue that the marketplace was paying above what his crop insurance guarantees were in order to, to um, have a larger pie of money at the end of the year. Yeah, and, and funny that you mentioned that, we are in the first day here of the crop insurance uh, fall pricing uh, determination, October average of November futures, but you know, yield, obviously, uh, another piece of that equation. And, you know, that's going to be all over the map uh, for producers. But in a general sense, we've heard a, we've heard a, a chunk of, you know, higher yield reports uh, for beans here in the Western Corn Belt. And, you know, we, we tell producers once yield changes from an estimate to a known factor, you know, then you can start to crunch the numbers and see what that revenue per acre is. You know, if we've done a good job of projecting a break even to know where our costs are, uh, at that point, it's pretty simple to see, am I profitable or am I not? Am I hitting return on investment targets that I may have set for myself or just gross dollars per acre uh, in profit margins? Uh, those are things that you can start to analyze once you've got some yield data. So we're kind of at that time of year and yeah, $12 cash beans at, you know, whatever your yield is, if there's some uh, profit there. Uh, I think what I'm hearing you say, Kevin, is uh, based on what we know about the market and the information we're getting back from some of these reports, it'd, it'd be wise to take and put some of that in the bank. You heard me pretty clearly, Luke. That's what I'm saying. You bet. Well, uh, good information. I think uh, we're going to get an update from the USDA now. Uh, they'll incorporate this information, different entity, as I understand it, uh, part of that, part of that uh, USDA arm. We'll then incorporate this information into their October 12th WASDE report. Uh, that's, that'll be a full update of the balance sheet. They'll incorporate this NAS data uh, to come up with those ending stocks numbers. But we'll get a chance to look at yield again. If they want to change acres, they can do that, uh, as well as any demand items and global numbers as well. So anything you're looking forward to uh, on the 12th, which is you know going to be 11 days away here? Well, the soybean market, I think with the number that you've gotten yesterday, of course, your carryout number is going to go up. And as you implied, what we're hearing from the country is bean yields are better than expected. So I really think that you have to look for yields to go up as well. You've also touched on earlier in our conversation about Hurricane Ida and the, uh, the devastation uh, that occurred to some export facilities in New Orleans. 
that's probably had a bigger impact on soybean exports at this time of the year than it has on corn. And as a matter of fact, Luke, in my own personal supply and demand uh, table that I keep, I've already reduced my bean export forecast by 150 million bushels just off the first three weeks of September. Uh, believing that any other bushels that didn't get exported after the three weeks in September, we're going to pick up, hopefully we're going to pick up November, December, January. Um, so I, I really don't see a rosy number. Uh, the Chinese government has come out and, and officially, quote unquote, reduced the size of their hog herd by 5%. Um, we're just not seeing the type of Chinese buying that is necessary to support the import program the USDA currently is forecasting. I'm not indicating at this time that we need to cut Chinese demand. It's just that they needed to be buying about 200 to 220,000 metric ton per day from the 1st of September in order to reach the forecast. It's a good thing when you hear on the radio, they bought 132,000 metric tons today. But unfortunately, that's only about 60% of what they needed to buy. Uh, I, think, I think the bean table with yesterday's numbers, with the yield and the, the great job the producer has done in producing this year, has just given the market the opportunity to take a great big sigh and breathe a sigh of relief that we aren't going to be squeezed like we were last year. That, and, and, the, and the market itself is telling us, as you look at the spreads between November and July soybeans, Luke, yesterday the market built in four cents of additional carry. Today it added another three cents. It wasn't that long ago when that market was at an inverse. And so the spread market is telling you that it has relaxed. Yeah, no doubt about that. It's part of that cash markets tell us the truth uh, about the fundamental situation anyway. And yeah, you're right. I'm looking at the no July, four cents wider today, 30 cent carry uh, in the bean market, which at these valuations, uh, you know, probably should be more, but that's certainly a big function too of what's going on in the Illinois River um, and the Mississippi over there with Ida. And you just don't have that big pole uh, as part of the delivery economics over there. But uh, yeah, I mean, you're, you're sharing some stuff. It, it seems uh, certainly a negative slant here lately in this bean market, but we've just had a slew of information that um, kind of tells us that high prices this last year helped to cure high prices in some way by rationing some demand. Um, so good stuff there, Kevin. I think we'd encourage producers to focus on revenue calculations um, as those yields come in and don't get too wrapped up into the Per bushel number. Let's focus on revenue per acre. And, um, you know, if the numbers make sense, don't put all your eggs in one basket. So Kevin, we're, uh, we're going to wind it down here, share a lot of good information with us today. If you wanted to leave producers with some key marketing steps between now uh, and maybe that October 12th report, what, what would you share with them? Seasonally, Luke, the corn and soybean market rally from the end of August, first 10 days of September into October. Now, with the stocks report yesterday and the beans, that has probably ended that rally of opportunity. Um, from there, we work into harvest lows for both commodities. If you had bushels and if you have bushels, 
that you need to forward contract and make sales because of space reasons, cash flow reasons, profitability reasons. That's what really needs to be taking place here in the next two, two weeks. CVA provides a number of, of alternative uh, grain contracts that if they wish to retain ownership, basis values, as you've mentioned earlier in our conversation, Luke, are demanding bushels be sold. You know, you store grain because basis is going to improve. Well, basis has improved. So you reward strong basis with cash sales. If you feel or believe that there is still upside in the futures market, then CVA has the extended price contract. They have a minimum price contract. There are alternatives in ways in which you can own soybeans. You don't necessarily have to own cash. Yeah, good points. It's, uh, you know, especially we talk about with beans, they're a higher dollar commodity. So the opportunity cost on uh, the interest is certainly something that producers need to consider uh, as you keep bushels, maybe in on-farm storage um, or at the elevators. So uh, you're right, kind of a sell and re-own strategies uh, are different things producers can look at. And those are things that we can help them with here at CBA uh, by working with our grain specialists and folks like uh, Kevin and the Stonex group. Kevin, sure appreciate you coming on today. You're a wealth of information. Uh, enjoyed the conversation and thank you for all the information that uh, you provide us and our producers. It's been my pleasure, Luke. I really enjoy working with the CVA team and, and personally getting to know everybody. It's a great organization. That's going to do it for episode number 22, the CVA Grand Exchange. That was Kevin Gonnerman with Stonex. We're going to be back October 12th. Uh, talking about the October WASD report. Until then, have a safe harvest. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening to the CVA Grain Exchange. Stay up to date on all things CVA Grain by signing up for our grain emails at cvacoop.com slash grain or follow us on social media at Central Valley Ag on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Tune in next month, and until then, stay safe. Stay safe.